Hey, it's Brian from Story Guys, and usually you would be downloading a new episode of Story Guys, the podcast, the fake game show where Murdoch and I sit around and tell each other stories and decide who wins. But when we started this podcast, you might remember us talking about how one of our plans was to make Story Guys an umbrella for a lot of different projects. And we kind of mapped out the first few projects we wanted to do. The first one was this fake storytelling game show, and the second one was a show that we conceptualized as rock and roll bedtime stories. And this was a show that would be specifically about music, but we would tell each other stories about songs and moments in rock and roll history that uh, sometimes you kind of know or you might not know at all, but you don't know all the details or, or, or whatever. So we would use it as kind of this fun jumping off point to talk about rock and roll history and lore and that kind of stuff. So... What you are about to hear is the first episode in that podcast. Now, it will eventually live on its own feed and have its own episode and publishing schedule, but we wanted to give you, as Story Guys listeners, a sneak preview of what this is going to be like. So, I'm about to present to you the pilot episode of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories, a brand new podcast from Story Guys Productions. Enjoy. Let us know what you think. Send us an email. We are the story guys at gmail.com. Hey, are you awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories, a podcast that exists to discuss and maybe set straight, maybe not, the rumor, innuendo, hidden details that surround some of your favorite bands and songs. My name is Brian. I'm Murdoch. And you might know us from the Story Guys pod or a host of other things that we do, and you can find all the stuff we do at wearethestoryguys.com, but today we are unabashedly just going to talk about rock and roll. Yeah. I'm. If um, some of you um, listening, you know me. And, and those that don't, if you ever do get to meet me, at some point I will downshift out of our conversation and just start talking about music as if I'm on the spectrum, which someone <laughs> mentioned to me Wednesday night at Trivia that it that I was. Oh, no, really? I don't think yeah. you're on the spectrum. Well, we were, they were like, they were like, oh, they're like, the flag of Norway has this three colors. And the song starts playing, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, boom, it's this one, you know. Because I was writing down the name of every song and the artist, because it's a lot of times at the very end for the bonus question, there's a theme that's based on all the songs that's done by the whole thing, and I'm the one that answers that. Because it's an extra que- extra point. If you can be on the spectrum just about rock and roll, you and I are probably both on the spectrum. And that's part of the reason that we decided to make this podcast. You actually said, when I was trying to explain the concept to you, you said, like, you know, let me know what's in your head. And I said, here's what's in my head. Remember how every time I mention a song, you'll be like, did you know that that was actually recorded in the back of a Jeep on the highway with Elvis? And I'm like, wait, what? And that is the premise, is that yeah. you and I both, in kind of in different avenues, know a whole lot of, like, background information about stuff that's right. really, really interesting and fun. And I find that people that listen to our other podcast projects, a lot of times we get sidetracked talking about this kind of stuff. And... They'll say, oh, you know, I was really interested when you talked about this or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I think we can make that its own thing. So that's the premise here. Right. Is rock and roll bedtime stories are these stories that live in the crevices of rock and roll and your favorite songs and bands. And we'll try not to get, I think at least at first, it's not about being obscure. It's more about what's out there in the wide open that you just 
didn't know, but right. most people will know the reference points. Yeah, and too, like it's it's they're they're fun stories too that are about things that that you know are the intersections of stuff that you had no idea that ever happened. So it's, right, you know that's right. that's what we really wanted to do was take the incredible nerdy things that we can talk about that create these incredible awkward social situations <laughs> make it not awkward and now we put it on you know in a podcast and it actually well this makes sense so to your point i, I think the jumping off point for us is you know we've been talking about doing this for a long time and one of the stories i wanted to start with was about the ghostbusters theme song yes! and we just you know it's it's a little bit after halloween and right. so we have encountered again and, and the ghostbusters theme song mashed up with a nine inch nail song has gone viral again and so people and, and are thinking about and it. And there was the one, I heard the one this morning where it was a subtle edit of it where it was just called Busted. <laughs> so it's just him and he's going, Busted. Uh, so it's a fascinating story for me. So the way the format of this is going to work, at least initially, is one of us is going to take the lead. So today I'm going to be the storyteller and I'm going to tell you the story of Ray Parker Jr. versus Huey Lewis in the news. So you probably know some of this, right? Well, I do. Yeah, yeah okay. I mean, a decent amount. Like, I don't... I, yeah, I know the high points of it, but you're probably so going to fill in everything I'm going to timeline else. it with a lot of help from LedgerNode.com, who did a great article about this earlier this year. And there's been quite... There's quite a bit on the internet about it. Ooh, and I just thought of something. Two guys that made some decent coin from movie songs so they, okay being in movies this is a really interesting part of the story to me right. because they actually and it's a great place to start the producers of ghostbusters made a list of who they wanted to do this song and you might be surprised to know that ray parker jr not at the top of that list no i mean let's talk a little bit about who ray parker jr is because most people only know him as the ghostbusters yeah, song right so, so people know huey lewis and you say Huey Lewis in the news, and most people, they might say Back to the Future, which we'll get to. Right. They might talk about tons of other hits. I mean, we both worked in radio, and so we know all the AC hits, you know, and I was even earlier just joking around going, this is it. Um, you know, tons of references for Huey Lewis. But Ray Parker Jr. is kind of known as my least favorite phrase in the musical lexicon, a one-hit wonder. Right. But a little background on him, uh, he he's mostly known for that, but he also performed with a band called Radio, and he performed with Barry White. Yeah. So this guy, you know, I mean, he was a legitimate... He had a career before this. He had a legitimate career before this. Radio had a song called Jack and Jill. Do you remember this? They were on Arista Records. That came out in 78. No, it okay. actually reached number eight on the on the Billboard Hot 100. So, like, I mean, wow, he nice. had a hit okay. with this other band, um, and I mean, he, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on his history, but he actually did quite a bit. They broke up in '81. He had a solo career. He had a number four pop hit in, in 1981, I think, called "The Other Woman." Um, no, in 1982, called "The Other Woman," and then Ghostbusters, of course, was a huge hit. Was so, he, was he still an Arista? I believe know. he was still on Arista Records, yeah. So that's, so that's Clive Davis. Yeah. So that means that he was he was a connected musician, like he wasn't just a guy because yeah. Clive was a super famous with Whitney Houston, right? Everybody that he he brought to the table in the music industry, and he's also notable because he's one of the first black artists to venture into music videos. So we're talking '78. He was doing music videos with Radio. Oh, well. That's so this is not something that was you know think about 1978. Music video wasn't really a thing yet. At no. that point, it was quote unquote fledgling is yeah. the word used in some articles, right? They were so, promotional videos, right? So he's in on that. Um, all this to say, I mean, he went on and he, 
he wrote hits for people. I mean, he wrote Mr. Telephone Man for New Edition. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> this was we were trying to figure out all the New Edition songs the other night, and that was the first one. At trivia. Well, uh, again, no again, the reason this podcast works is that you two days ago were trying to figure out New Edition uh, hits. Um, <laughs> he performed guitar on Latoya Jackson's debut album. I mean, like he's done a ton of stuff, right? Oh, Latoya. So anyway. It's not that he's an unknown guy, but at the right. time, he is number at least number three on the list of people the producers of Ghostbusters are going after because they're going after people who have done what they want him to do, which is write a hit song based on a movie. Uh, so the first person they go after yeah. is is not Huey Lewis. Do you, do you want to take a guess? Think about the time period in the 1980s, uh, a, a big hit from a movie... Would have starred Chevy Chase. Uh, not Kenny Loggins. No, no. Lindsey Buckingham. Lindsey Buckingham. Yeah. yeah. So they go to yeah. Lindsey Buckingham and they say, Lindsey Buckingham. Yeah. What's they, up with that? <laughs> they go, bro, we need you to write us another hit movie song. And he says, I don't want to be the soundtrack guy. Yeah. So this is, they're all worried yeah. about this, right? They yeah. all don't want to be, they realize the hit potential, right? So you, you yeah. have a choice here in your career. You're like, do I take this juncture where I'm probably going to get quick cash yeah. and maybe a hit song on the radio and then be known for that? Or do I go a little over here and try? So Buckingham is a, is away from the Mac. He's yeah. trying to figure out his own thing. Great career move. His, that solo record that he made around then that had this sing, there's a single called Trouble. Trouble. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great song. Yeah. So I saw Buckingham play solo in a club that I know do work for years ago and uh, he didn't do Trouble. I'm almost positive he didn't do trouble, and I couldn't yeah. believe he didn't do trouble. He did some Fleetwood Mac stuff, but he didn't do that anyway. Yeah. So, so uh, Lindsey Buckingham he says pa- no. He passes. He passes. So they go to Huey Lewis. Oh, oh, I didn't know that he was in. Okay, keep going. So they go to so Huey Lewis, All right. and and they go, bro, we want you to do this song for this movie about ghosts, about ghosts, um, and. Uh, he, you know, at the time, remember, Huey Lewis and the News are killing it. Yeah. Think about the pitch, too. Like, whatever studio that was, big studio. Yeah, 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 We yeah. have a movie, and it stars Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, so, like... It, Rick it, Moranis. The guys at Ledger Note are, are it, the, that I'm basing some of this, the structure of telling the story on, they, they do a great job of pointing that out. They're like, they knew Ghostbusters was, was going to be yeah, huge. Right. This was, like, money in the bank. So, yeah. they... Saw it, saw it in the theater, I did. I think they felt like going to... Going to these musicians, it was like with a real opportunity. It wasn't like they were trying to convict, like having to twist their arm. They, they thought because right. they're like, "This is money in the bank for you." So, and this was the golden age of soundtrack songs. Like we haven't had a lot of that yeah. in the last couple decades. There's been a few exceptions, but for the most part, you don't have a ton of that. I the last I'm trying to think of the last big soundtrack song that really crossed it. And the one that comes to mind weirdly is Secret Garden from Jerry Maguire. Do you remember that? And I remember there was a radio mm. edit. of It was a Springsteen song. And there was a radio edit of it where they would actually play on the radio with 
clips from the movie inside it. I didn't watch that movie until I rented it from Blockbuster. So that movie didn't resonate much with me. I was doing other things with my life other than watching movies. <laughs> so <laughs> let's put it that way. So whatever that was, I don't remember that at all. Not not to get too distracted, but I I, I know that there are some that have been out there that are big movie songs, but I'm I'm blanking on anything recently. But this is the the day and age for that. So they go to Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis says no for a variety of reasons, but one of them is that he is busy with Back to the Future. It's just too loud. Remember, so, he was the judge. <laughs> yeah, just too loud. So, so what do they do? They reach out to Ray Parker Jr., their number, which becomes number three, right? And he goes, yeah. Yes. Yeah, right? So this is his moment. He's been doing this other stuff, but he's, he's, he's really in, firmly in African-American-based music, right? He's working with Motown-ish yeah. stuff, and this is kind of a mainstream opportunity. So... He says, I'll get it done, and they go, cool, you got three days. Oh, no. <laughs> that's, so, that's so fantastic. That's like, that's, like he's, that's like he lives in Nashville. Yeah, right? I yeah. mean, they literally are looking at him like a machine. Yeah. Okay, hey, bro, it's your turn. You got three days to do yeah, this. You got to show up at Mount Juliet. We're gonna, we got so, a house. It'll be over in three days. So this is a hit. Some of this is probably conjecture, and it's based on different interviews, which the interviews around this whole situation are very controversial, which we'll talk about at some point. Um, but he basically says that, okay, around this time, he's sitting around, he's brainstorming, he's got three days, he's watching the TV, or the TV is on in the background, and a local station has, airs a commercial for this service-based business. And it catches his attention because it was about a team of guys who would go out and perform some typical service like clean up your basement or something, right? Get, getting ghosts out of your house. Right, right. And <laughs> and there's like a jingle for it, right? Like, who are you going to call, right? Like that type of thing. So he's got this business jingle in there. Huh. This is this is what Ray Parker Jr. claims okay. happened, right? So he's yeah. got this business jingle idea that he's going to create a fake radio jingle for a team that busts ghosts. Because they, I guess they just give him the premise, right? It's like, yeah, these yeah. people, they come out and they get ghosts out of your house or whatever. So that's what he says he's going to do. So he writes the song. So, I mean, that's actually written by Ray Parker Jr. And he gives it to the producers. They start working on a music video. They want to get cameo appearances from big celebrities, you know, like guys that were in the movie or like yeah. John Candy and Chevy Chase, apparently, at yeah. some point. The video, the video did have a lot of cameos in it. And then they even get Run DMC to do a verse at, in a mm-hmm. version of it. There's like a version with Run DMC. Yeah. I remember all these things. Um, they start making video games. Using the theme song. So just think about like how big this is getting, right? So for the Atari and for the Commodore 64. um, I did not. It would literally go. I didn't have that. It would literally go all the way to the Wii, the Nintendo Wii. So they were up to PlayStation 3 and Nintendo Wii. There have been Ghostbuster games that use the theme song. Wow. There have been Lego creations that have involved Ghostbusters and theme songs. It, 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 was, it was on Rock Band, the video game. So just think about how big this song has been. I mean, to, to your point, in two, it came out in 84. In 2019, 35 years later, we were talking about it yesterday on the internet, uh, you know, yeah. mashing it up with a song from the 90s and people yeah. were floating it around with technology that didn't exist in 1984. Uh-huh. Like, just think about all, like, it's just mind-bending how big this song was. Now, yeah. let's go back to Huey Lewis. Okay, I'm ready. So there's the setup. It's huge. Ray Parker Jr. hears a commercial, writes a song. Boom. Meanwhile, meanwhile, over at Huey Lewis's ranch. He's counting his money. Meanwhile, Huey Lewis is with the news. Um, And (laughs) the key part of this, and this is the part you just told me you didn't know about this story, is that 
they are on record for having asked Huey Lewis to do this. Yeah. So they, it's publicly known that choice number two was Huey Lewis. You should do this. No. Okay, Ray Parker Jr., you do it. You write it. So he's he's pumping out the hits. And he had just put out an album five months before called, do you remember the name of the album he put out in 84? Uh, it, I know the cover of it. It has his face. It's it's not a He's real He's standing photograph. in front of a pool table. Yeah, it's not a real photograph. No, it's a painting. It's like an artist etching yeah. of it. Sports. Sports, yeah, it's the big one. The second single from Sports is called I Want a New Drug. Right. Funny aside, I will tell very quickly that there was a guy when I was in radio who was a big programming boss for one of the big uh, radio companies. Yeah. And we all, and he was just, everyone hated him because he was making all these calls that affected all these radio stations across the country. And we started researching him and we found an air check that had like in the early, earlier days of the internet had floated onto the, and we found this air check he had created in 1984, giving away sports cassette copies of sports with a brand new Walkman. <laughs> so for some reason, every time I think of sports, I think of him doing a cheesy radio voice. Going, and, yeah. and caller number three will win yeah. a copy of Huey Lewis and the new sports. Yeah. And that was back when they all puked, right? Like, Bruh. right. Bruh. Think about that song too. Like, what's that song about? That song was a smash. I want that, a new drug. That song is about getting a new drug. <laughs> That song was like, I don't want barbiturates. I don't want. I don't want speed. I want a new drug. Yeah. Why the wall, man? Go ahead. So everyone, everyone knows this song, and it's still hot. Yeah, it's still right. right. It's still super hot, and it clearly is. Yeah, you can speculate. Had a lot of the. It's a lot of the reason that the Ghostbusters producers tried to get Huey Lewis. Okay, so because I want a new drug happens before the Back to the Future song. Right, so timelining yeah, wise, right here's where we are. This all happens before Back to the Future. So he's working on this unknown quantity at that point called Back to the Future. It's not, you know, he just happens to be doing it. Um, so sports, nineteen eighty five, right? Nineteen eighty four. Four. Oh yeah. Okay. So well, that makes sense with the movie. When it comes out, Huey Lewis immediately calls his lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> like really I mean right so at that point there's some speculation it's all speculation but the speculation is that the producers go to Lindsey Buckingham because of Holiday Road he says no they go to Huey Lewis because of I Want a New Drug it's a giant song and they're in their heads they're like if we had a song like this it would be awesome we'll get yeah. Huey Lewis to write one he says no they're like okay how do we get someone to not say no we don't want three no's three strikes right. you're out right let's go to somebody who's not as mainstream yeah. who would love this opportunity and then we'll just tell them here's what we want you to do who you going to call so they call Ray Parker Jr and they say it's speculated, speculated that they call Ray Parker Jr. and say, we need you to make a song that sounds like I want a new drug. And originally, was Ray Parker Jr. considered the sole songwriter of the song? Or was there, I, there a producer That's credit? a great question, but I think so. Like, I think, like, I didn't know this. Because I don't think that anyone else was involved in what what's about to happen. Right. Exactly. So, Huey Lewis immediately sues Ray Parker Jr. and Columbia Pictures for ripping him off. I mean, plagiarism is the charge, right? The backstory was too intertwined for anybody 
to really question whether or not this was a blatant ripoff. I mean, because the original had just been in the top 10 of the charts. So Columbia opted to settle out of court. So Columbia says like, okay, we don't think we will win this. Yeah. Because this has been a huge hit. It definitely sounds similar. And maybe we should stop here and play two clips of the, play these two things. So in case for some reason you don't know these two songs, I don't know why you would listen to this podcast if you don't know these two songs, but just to to refresh your memory, even the beginning of these two songs. So here is Huey Lewis in the news. I want a new drug. Okay, so we're not even to the words yet. And let's just turn that off. And then go to what the beginning of Ghostbusters sounds like. It's got the crazy intro. I mean, it's hard to know which song you're listening to. Yeah, they're the same. When they start, you're like, these are the exact same songs. The thing I don't know with... You've got the sweet horns in Ghostbusters. What I don't... Keys or whatever that is. What, like for... Huey Lewis, I got it. My ears understand what's happening. But when Ghostbusters comes on, it's like, da 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 Like, I don't know what instrument that is. Is that just all keys? So, okay, it's really, really interesting that you bring that up because not so much to the keys uh, question, but to, to Ghostbusters in general and the sound of both of those songs, the trademark sound that you hear is a drum machine. Right, it's a drum it's machine. The, it's the Lindrum drum machine effect. So it was being used in a lot of their, so it's a very 80s of that yeah. era and I would argue and I don't know for sure that they used it on the Huey Lewis song but the no, creation of that drum sound that doesn't mean they didn't use the Lynn well, drum sure. machine on the recording yeah. um the creation of that sound is part and, and the reason that every like the fact that everyone was aping that sound is part of the reason that these songs sound similar. Yeah. If they're the same, if there's both 4-4, four, four, I mean, if they're both like the same rhythm. So the story only gets more interesting, right? Like, so you think like, okay, so they set a lot of court, story over, we move on, whatever. Obviously, Huey Lewis and the News won because they had a huge career. Ray Parker Jr. is basically known for this one song, unless you're into Barry White. So... um. They write them a check, and they go, as they do in a lot of cases like this, you can't talk about this. We'll write you a check. To Ray Parker Jr.? To, to both of them. To, oh, so, okay. So they both... Okay. They both basically have to sign an NDA. Okay. Like, this is done. You, you cannot publicly talk about this issue anymore. Okay, because we know what happened at some so point. So, we're, we're getting there. Yeah. So... The word on the street, the word on the street is five million dollars for each. No, for for Huey Lewis, Columbia gave him five million. Columbia pays Huey Lewis five million dollars. All right, because they basically stole his guitar riff, his bass line, and the drum machine sound and everything else. So that's in 1984-85. Now the story we're gonna put the we're just gonna stop there. And we're gonna fast forward to the year I graduated high school. Okay, so I was born in 83, to give you okay. perspective, just right. on the length of this, right? So I was two when it happened, and when I'm 18, Huey Lewis does a little show called VH1 Behind the Music. Oh, so that's where it comes out. <laughs> wow. So remember... I know I watched it, but I don't remember this. Remember how huge, just let's take a moment, 
how huge behind the music was as a cultural yeah. phenomenon, yeah. especially for guys like you and me. Yeah, it's like the 60 minutes of, like, but it was like, you know, a zine. And I would say that it was all in the way, it was with the seriousness that they treated the subject matter. You know, right. because you'd seen Rock Docs and whatever, but like there was right. always like a, it was, it was like, you were in that sphere, so you just had to accept it. But this was treated like hard news. Yeah. And it was right. awesome. So he does he does behind the music. And, he, he I mean, long story short, he breaks the confidentiality agreement. So, okay. So it is a it was an airtight. It didn't have, like, so many gears on it. It was an airtight thing, and he breaks it there. He goes on record. This is a quote. This is what he says. The offensive part was not so much that Ray Parker Jr. had ripped this song off. It was kind of symbolic of an industry that wants something. So, so here's... I mean, he doesn't go after Ray. He goes after Columbia, who yeah. paid him the $5 million. Yeah. Just remember this, okay? Yeah. They wanted uh, they wanted our wave, which is a great Huey Lewis way of saying they wanted our wow. popularity or mojo. And he didn't bring his publicist to this taping. They, uh, apparently not. They wanted to buy it, and it's not for sale. In the end, I suppose they were right. I suppose it was for sale because basically they bought it. So, like, he says this... Uh, on and, and yeah, of course. So you're the producer at, at behind the music, right? And you have to kind of have figured out what what happened here, and that they, he has an NDA, and you get that on camera. Yeah, you can use that, and you you edit that up, and that's that's when we come back. Holy cow! Huey Lewis will tell us. So v, VH1 airs VH1 airs the special because why would you not? And Ray Parker Jr. sitting at home one night. <laughs> I just like to imagine that he's got like a TV dinner and. Sitting in his living room, and he a t- TV oh, hey, it's it's VHA man. It doesn't matter how successful you are. TV dinner sometimes it's just you know hits the spot. So he uh, he turns on the TV, and here is this special. And what does he do? He calls his attorney. He calls his lawyer, and he's like, "Now we're suing Huey." I didn't know this happened. <laughs> wow. So he sues Huey for breaking the confidentiality contract. But, and he doesn't mention, does he, I didn't really mention Ray Parker Jr. Does he mention him in behind the In music? the quote, he says the offensive part was not so much that Ray Parker Jr. ripped us off. Okay, so he mentions his name. So yeah, but got, he, mention, he mentions that it happened, that it, which is the whole thing. That, yeah. Like, here's $5 million. He, don't he, ever talk about this yeah, again. So that's done. So the previous settlement was based around an agreement to take the secret to the grave. Yeah. It's the only thing you had to do. Don't talk about it anymore. 17 years later, so there's not like, it doesn't run out. 17 years later, it's still in effect. Parker sues Lewis for, quote, an unspecified amount of compensa- compensatory, excuse me, and punitive damages. He basically says, Huey, you got to pay my attorney fees. Um, and he said, yeah, he wanted Lewis to pay for his attorney fees. So anyway, this is amazing. Uh, later on, and this was around 2004, so three or four or five years later, Premier Magazine runs a story celebrating the anniversary of the Ghostbusters movie. Okay. All right? The cat was apparently out of the bag, and this was damage control. The filmmakers in the interview flat out admit that during the editing process of the movie, they were using I Want a New Drug as the temporary background music in the scene that they needed it. 
They was also that, was it Landis. Who who said that? Does it say who? It um, was? in this great piece again from LedgerNote.com, which you should check out. Um, they don't cite okay. who said this, but yeah. it's it's actually in this magazine article. Yeah. So they literally were using it as background music as a placeholder. Action. They also admitted <laughs> that Huey Lewis couldn't commit to writing the theme song. And they literally sent Ray Parker Jr. a scene as inspiration to aid him in writing the version of the song. And it included, Oh man, I want a new drug in the scene. Yeah. In the scene. Uh, Amazing. Now, if, wow. you, if you wanted to speculate, one might say that they actually, you know, you might say that they probably called him and said, just make it sound like this. Yeah, possibly. But we don't know that. It's just conjecture. So, do you think we're done with the lawsuits around this? No. No. That's the 90s, man. So, Behind now, the music now was we're, forever ago. Now we're all the way. It's two decades ago. We're now. all the way to 2004. Okay. So this whole thing is 20 years old at this point. Yeah. In 2013, fast forward another almost decade, which is only at this point six years ago from now. Yeah. Six years ago, Ray Parker Jr. apparently needed cash. Sure. He saddles up again and sues EMI and Sony. So the publishers, like the record labels. Now, why do you think he sued them? Um, he's suing for back royalties. Right? You're so good at this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because but despite his like, it, let they, me just they, ex- lic- they license that song. Explain. Everywhere. Let me explain to people. Mark does not necessarily know where this story is going. He doesn't know all the details. He's this good. Like he just knows this stuff this well. He's like, oh, clearly this is a back royalties issue. Despite <laughs> the contract stating he would receive seventy five percent of the profits. Now think 70. about this. Seventy five. He signed a deal. This is how they. This deal was so dirty. People talk about the record industry being dirty in the eighties. This is a great example. It doesn't just mean there was cocaine on the table, right? Seventy five. It means. It means that they were making deals they had no no inclination of keeping. Number one. And that they were doing things like sending clips of something with somebody else's song, and it being like, "Hey, bro, just make this song again." Wow. And so he sues them. The contract said 75% of the profits from the Ghostbusters theme song. And despite it having earned over, you want to guess how much money that song has earned? Had how earned much, at this point? How much he's netted or how much did he earn? No, just how much did the song earn? So despite the song having earned this amount of money, his royalty checks never got close. Um, $350 million. Yeah, it wasn't that much. $20 million. Okay, I just went for it. But yeah, no, I, I would have gone that way too. Um... And he got no money. And he so got, it's 2013 and he hasn't gotten paid. Well, and, he's, he's gotten some. But he's supposed to get 75%. He's supposed to get 75% though. So yeah. think about this. So like if you if you were part of that, if you it's signed a of deal. $15 million. Yeah. He was supposed to get around $15 million off of that song. Yeah. And that's enough to be a one-hit wonder for life, right? Like yeah. I, he's probably like, you know what? Barry White likes me. Diana Ross likes me. I don't. Give a crap post, if post, white guy in suburbia cares about my music. Post taxes, seven million bucks. Yeah, so, I mean, he is a millionaire several times over based on this song. But doesn't have the money. But he does Now, I don't have specifics on what he did get paid. That probably never came out. But he basically, the lawsuit was, you didn't pay me my 75%. <sighs> Arista was the music publishing company that paid Parker for the song. But they were acquired. So this is where it all gets muddy, Yes. Right? They were acquired by Areola? Am I reading that <laughs> I correct? I'm going to say no. I've, I'm pretty sure I'm reading that correctly. And then that company was acquired by BMG. 
and BMG was acquired yes. by Sony Universal. Right. So think about this. Yeah. So there was probably a little bit of paperwork that didn't get done. They fired Clive Davis in the middle of all this, and people went bonkers because he was the president of of, uh, of Arista, and he didn't do anything. Every one of the musicians in that town in L.A., they basically just went around and bashed everybody that was part of that deal, and they got Clive's job. They gave, they made another job for Clive. So he got back in there, so he has to know Ray Parker Jr. So, no, okay, not only all of that, there's another layer to this story. All right. We're still at 2013, right? Yes. So... This talk, talk, talking about all the dirty, the dirty parts of this story, right? And all the just the dirty things that people did to each other. There is a possibility, and I'm not. I'm going to be just like the guys at Ledger Note again. Ledger Note, you guys did an amazing job on this piece, and you should go back and read the 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 piece in its entirety. But as they say, no one wants to get sued, including me and you. So I'm not going to say this is what happened. But there is another level of speculation. That the thievery didn't start with Mr. Parker Jr. There is a possibility, if you think through the annals of pop history and songs that utilized a certain sound, that I want a new drug is not entirely original either. All right, that's a rip so off something. Can else. you think back to a 1979 pop hit? It's a tough one for me. Keep going. All right. What else I got? You, you might remember a band. They went by a single letter. Q? M. M. Oh. One, <laughs> one, hit, one hit wonder for them. So, for almost 30 years, everybody hating on Ray Parker Jr., saying Huey Lewis got ripped off. But... Huey might have ripped off. Huey might have ripped off a little song called Pop Music, which pop, wasn't pop. Oh yeah. wasn't a little song. It was a huge It was a huge yeah. hit that you still hear on a lot. Let's just hear that song for a second. We're going to wade through the beginning of Here we go. And I mean, it's unbelievable. The baseline is the same. Yeah. I mean, it, it's literally the same thing. Okay, so so what happened? Was there anything, or is this just speculation? This is all speculation. That At this point, no one, no one from M has put this together. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But you have to wonder who wrote that baseline. So that's seventy nine, and then you know you got Huey a few years later, eighty three, eighty four. Four is the creation of the song. The song comes yeah. out in the beginning of 84. Then you've got Ray Parker Jr. at the end of that year putting out Ghostbusters. Now, Robin Scott is the guy that creates that song as part of him. Okay. You don't see him running around suing people, right? Right. But here's, here is what the guys at Ledger note. This is, this is their consensus, not mine. This is theirs because I don't want to take credit for this because they have done amazing work on this whole article. Here is how they see it. They say, A... Arista and Sony got paid, and still are, especially with all the Ghostbusters sequels. Yeah. You know, there was just one in the last couple of years. Ray Parker Jr. got his fair share of cash and fame. Huey Lewis got $5 million in a settlement, and he got his karma and more money repaid with being a central obsession on the movie and soundtrack of American Psycho. And, <laughs> yes. And and he's playing, he's playing America's 
D-list finest casinos right now. And Robin Scott and M didn't get anything. Nothing. Nah. <laughs> the guy who actually wrote the bulk of this friggin' song is the only guy not getting paid. I had figures. And I, I love they end the article uh, at uh, Ledger Note by saying, so I just hopped over to Amazon and bought the CD that featured the original version of that song just to toss this guy a bone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pop music M, all right? Uh, so all this to say there have been a couple updates since the original version of this article came out. And... Um, there are, have now been other versions of the Ghostbusters theme song made that we, you know, we know this, right? Because once the movies come out, we've seen that there's been a version by fallout boy and Missy Elliott. Oh, this is there's, all out of my way. There's a dubstep yeah. version, right? So Polka. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea. Okay. Uh, so it's pretty interesting that there are still people making money off of this. And you're hoping that Ray Parker is still getting paid. And Ray Parker is probably still getting some money. Yeah. Should be getting paid a lot. Robin Scott getting no money. Yeah. Wow. Jared and the guys over at LedgerNode.com, thank you for that. That's the first rock and roll bedtime story. Yeah, I know. So so I think it sets the tone for what we're trying to do here, which is, you know, it's not necessarily that we're doing all the research or anything, but it's like when we run across these things and these great stories, we'll put them in a format here. We're on the way to work. You can listen to them. And then you can go in to your other buddy, like my buddy that I do this with is Murdoch. And I say, oh my gosh, do you know the full story behind Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. Yeah, yeah. It's like when other people they walk into they walk into work and they go, "Do you know the real story about the Mayflower?" And they want to tell you something they learned. They like listen to the podcast. They want to talk about that. And then here we want to talk about what really happened between Ray Parker Jr. and Huey Lewis in the news. I, I was sitting behind a good. I was sitting with a good friend of mine at where, who I'm getting to know at a place that I'm doing some work for right now, and he has taken on the nickname Britannica. Uh, because he knows so many random things. And I was talking about something, and I noticed him scribbling notes. And he said, oh, I just remembered a fact from the documentary I watched on Mushrooms last night. And I was like, (laughs) oh, well, that's how some people choose to live. But instead, I know a whole lot about Ray Parker Jr. and Huey Lewis. Yeah, There you go. Awesome, we'll do it again, and it's going to be your turn to wow me with some musical craziness. Right, I can't wait to tell you. I've got a great rock and roll bedtime story. I already know what we're going to do. Um, So thanks so much for listening to the first episode of this one. And keep telling stories.